What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Ahead on The Exchange, a key inflation reading coming in hot this morning, just not as hot as last month. Now everyone is talking about whether inflation is peaking and the Fed will be slowing down. And our guest says that's exactly the wrong conversation to have. Speaking of slowing down with gas prices through the roof, are lower speed limits a way to limit demand? We will look for real solutions to bring prices down. And it's been a wild week for retail, so which names are now buys and which are now bails? It's all coming up this hour. But first, over to Dom Chu with our market numbers. Dom. All right, so Kelly, that retail trade, obviously a huge one for the last couple of weeks. But we have to focus on technology because it is, in many ways, the most important sector in the entire market right now. And as you can see behind me from a sector perspective, also what's leading the gains today and arguably have been all week. Now, if you look at the bigger picture numbers, the Dow Industrials now 352 points higher near the highs of the session. The S&P 500 41.29 up about one and three quarters percent and two and a half percent gains for the composite index. Now, the reason why I want to point this out is because at this point, the Dow Industrials have now gotten back all the losses in the month of May. The S&P 500 is literally just two points, two points away from becoming flat for the month of May. The composite still has about a 300-point gain to make up to get flat for the month, but still very solid over the last week. Within that technology trade I just mentioned, there are some areas in particular that have been getting a lot more attention from traders and investors thinking about either buying the dip or covering some of those money-making short positions that they've had. It has been in semiconductors, up 7% so far this week. Software, generally speaking, up about 55 to 6%, and then 6% gains for some of those really beaten-up financial technology names. We're talking Block, PayPal, those types of stocks. So generally speaking, those ETFs showing some big gains within that kind of technology sector. And then, of course, you got to pay attention to the mega cap stocks, the Apples and Microsofts, the alphabets of the world. Three in particular have done a lot of heavy lifting for the market gains within the S&P and the NASDAQ. Apple is up 8% over the last week. Microsoft up nearly 8% and 13% gains for Tesla. Those stocks have done a lot of movement here. We'll see whether or not there's some uh, at least stability. By the way, those stocks, Kelly, Apple and Microsoft are up roughly 10 per- 10 to 12% off their lows that we've seen this last run. And then Tesla, Kelly, up 20% wow. from the lows just over the last month. Back over to Monster you. Monster move. All right, Dom, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Our Dom Chu. My next guest has been warning that the Fed has to stay vigilant against inflation so expectations don't become unanchored. So let's see what the data this week is telling us. First of all, some very good news on areas that had gotten overheated. The Mannheim used car index plunged to a reading of below nine 
from above 54 this time last year. Definitely some good news. That's helping ease inflationary pressures. The report the Fed watches, the PCE, came in at only 6.3% this morning. That's down from 6.6% last month, and the core reading fell back below 5%. It goes in the middle here because these levels are still super high, and high energy prices are perhaps the most visible sign of pain. Consumer sentiment dropping again today, sliding another point to 58. That's a fresh 10-year low. Most importantly, inflation expectations. They are still stubbornly high, still at 5.3% for the year ahead versus 5.4% last month. On that note, let's bring in my next guest. Randy Krosner is Deputy Dean for Executive Programs at the Booth School of Business and a former Fed governor. Randy, it's great to have you here today. Do you think the Fed can um, ease up here? I think the Fed's got to continue on, on the path that it's uh, it's going on, and it is going to continue on that path. I think they understood that inflation is likely to be coming down even before they, they fully get the interest rate uh, rises out there, uh, but they can't stop because if they stop, then inflation expectations continue to move up and inflation becomes entrenched and becomes much more difficult to get it out. It sounds like they might slow down, though. I mean, whether it's the minutes or the commentary we've seen from officials, the idea that they're going to keep hiking by a half a point after the next couple of meetings looks like it's already out the window. Well, it's the next couple of meetings. I think they, that's kind of baked into the cake. So that gets them into, you know, at least the next two, maybe three meetings that gets them into the 2% range. And then I think they're going to sort of assess to see how inflation is, uh, is evolving, how the economy is evolving. Because the economy has also taken some pretty tough shocks from uh, the war, from sanctions, and uh, and I think a, a waning impact of that, um, uh, all that money that went into people's uh, pockets uh, from the stimulus checks, they're spending it down. And at some point, they'll have to, <laughs> they've got to get the money from somewhere and that money will be spent out. So they, they won't, uh, the consumer may not be quite as robust. I mean, on just a very basic level, though, does the Fed at least need to get to neutral? Is there any reason why they should be below a level that might conservatively be 2%. Neutral could be, I don't know, 3 or 4%, or, and they suggested they want to go even higher. But for anybody who's suggesting they even slow down this year, that puts them well below those levels. Sure. And so I think the Fed estimates that neutrals are around 2.5. It's, it's somewhere between 2 and 3, most people would say. Hard to know exactly where it is. And that's why I think once they get around 2, they're going to sort of um, sit back and assess where, where things are. But I think they've at least got to get to neutral. I mean, it, you know, given how high inflation is and uh, given that we still have such a low unemployment rate, uh, do we really need to have uh, the Fed being extremely stimulative? I think neutral seems perfectly reasonable. Yeah, I, I think maybe one of the sources of confusion has been this post-pandemic shift from goods back to services. So we see used car prices falling. We hope that inflation is peaking, um, but it doesn't mean that we're going to see it completely go away. You know, strong labor market services inflation. What's that expected to look like over the next 12 months or so? Sure. I mean, you know, one of the examples that we've seen just in the last month is uh, airline prices up 18, 20 percent. People want to go on vacation. It's the first time they've been able to do so in a very long time. So travels up enormously, and so people want to do a lot more services kinds of uh, kinds of consumption. They they couldn't get out, so they bought goods, and everything was delivered to home. Now they want to get out, and so there'll be uh, there'll be a lot of pressure in, in those areas. So it's not like inflation is just going to come back to to two percent. Hopefully, uh, it won't get much higher than it has been over the last few months, and then it will gradually at least gradually come back down. But it's not like it's 
just going to be like that. How high do you think the risk is of a repeat of the 1970s with a stagflationary outcome where we have recessions, it doesn't cure high prices, it goes on for a decade, you know, it takes a long time uh, to kind of finally get in front of it? So one of the things that I think the Fed has gotten in front of is they're starting to act before inflation expectations become unanchored. Certainly, the short-run inflation expectations are very high. But if you look at the longer-run numbers, both from the survey-based measures as well as the market-based measures looking at inflation-protected securities versus non-inflation-protected securities, those longer-run numbers are sort of in the range of where they've been over the last five or 10 years. So that's why if the Fed acts now, it uh, doesn't risk those inflation expectations becoming anchored. If they sort of sit back and say, well, things look like they're getting a little bit better, let's not worry about it too much, then you really worry that this gets baked into um, wage demands, it gets baked into uh, how firms will be, be pricing, and then, then you get into the 1970s. So by acting quicker now, I think we can avoid the 70s. 100% chance that we can avoid the 1970s? No, but a very high chance if they do um, follow through, at least with the next few uh, meetings of 50 basis point rate hikes. All right. We will leave it there. Randy, have a great weekend. Thanks for your time today. You too. Bye-bye. Randy Krosner. My next guest says the market is having all the wrong conversations about inflation right now, and he has the names he thinks will continue to perform well in this environment. Joining me now is Charlie Babrinskoy. He's the vice chair and head of the investment group at Ariel Investments. It's great to see you, Charlie. And what is your reaction to the inflation versus recession debate that is going on with some vigor right now? First of all, Kelly, after seeing Top Gun last night, I'm no longer responding to Charlie. I need you to call me by my call sign name, Value Man. <laughs> you as my friend can call me Val, but I just want to get that True straight up front. True to your stock picks. You're putting your ticket money where your investments are. Absolutely. Absolutely. A spectacular movie that's going to be a huge home run for Paramount this year. Um, the, the point is uh, on, on inflation, what you have to do is not just say what you think. You have to compare what you think to what the market thinks. And as the professor just said, the market is baking in a pretty quick return to 2 to 3% inflation. That is what's baked into bond prices. That's how we get a 275 10-year. That's how we get tip prices where they are. And in my opinion, that is classic anchoring. It's where we've had this low inflation for a long period of time, and people are not adjusting to the new data enough. In fact, we are going to have high inflation, well above the 2% target, certainly for this year, and well into next year. And then after that, we're going to have to see, because the Fed is still quantitative easing with an interest rates that are below neutral. We have a Fed fund rate less than 1% in a 6% inflationary environment. That's crazy. So there's still a lot of stimulus going on. And we think we're going to have inflation next year well above normal levels. Yeah, are they still easing? Have they got they're, They've they've started QT, or that starts next month, or or we got to be close. Yeah, but we Kelly, they have gone for you and I have been talking about inflation for more than eighteen months, and they were still buying one hundred and twenty billion dollars of bonds every month, adding one hundred and twenty billion dollars of cash to the economy every month, even after it, clearly we had an inflation problem. They finally stopped that. And now they're going to start modest quantitative tightening with modest interest rate increases that are way behind the curve. They're still pointing to this PCE inflation data, which is their preferred number because it's the lowest number. They exclude food and energy because those are the most inflationary factors. And so they tell us 
inflation is only 4%. It's not 4%. It's closer to 7%. I think the, the real issue, Charlie, and again, reading the Bernanke book that came out last week is a good reminder of this. Throughout the 70s, especially early on, there was a sense of, well, you know, the economy might slow down or, you know, well, there's better ways of dealing with this inflation or, oh, that oil price shock is different. And, you know, oh, our tools aren't the right tools to use for this. And I'm hearing a lot of the same talk today. Very good. I'm glad you've read up on the 70s because there are a lot of comparisons. And one of the other comparisons is a massive increase in in the supply of money. M2 is a relatively broad definition of money that includes money market certificates uh, and money market accounts. That measure of of the money supply is up 42%, 42% from February of 2020. That kind of massive increase in the money supply has to lead to inflation, and it is. This is a really important point, though, because the market has woken up to M2, but what it's looking at now are measures of change and not overall Level. So they're saying, look, M2 has crashed all the way back to just whatever it is, 5% year-on-year growth. Now we're clearly headed to zero, maybe negative. So they, from that, determine that means the Fed needs to respond to that change, that the tightening's already baked in, that they perhaps need to switch to easing now because a recession is coming and all the rest of it. What's the mistake there? Because if the, there's always a lag, is the short answer to your question. When the money supply explodes higher, You don't get the price increases right away. There's a lag. Some people estimate that at six months, some people at 18 months. But that 40 percent increase that we got at at the beginning of COVID has not gone away. We haven't brought down the money supply. We've only moderated the growth. So think about it. If if McDonald's does a stock split where they give two for one, the price of a McDonald's share goes down by almost exactly 50 percent. If they put out more stock the next day, the price doesn't go back up. It goes down a little bit slower maybe, but just because the M2 growth is moderating doesn't unwind the 42% that we got over the last two years. You know, someone like you could end up with the same conclusions that Jeremy Grantham has drawn, which makes him very bearish on the stock market, sees a valuation reset by another 50% or so from here. Are you more constructive? Certainly you are on at least individual names. Yeah, and and this is where that we are always very... Um, quick to say that you can't talk about the stock market because there are lots of different kinds of stocks. And um, the kinds of stocks that will get hit hardest, if we're right and inflation stays higher, is the tech stocks, the stocks trading at at very high multiples because higher discount rates hit tech stocks and growth stocks much harder than value stocks. Right now, value stocks are pricing in some inflation and then a recession. And we think the chance of a recession is certainly up from where it was but still less than 50%. So if we get a world of pretty high inflation, but a reasonable economy, our value stocks are going to continue to do well because they're being priced at very attractive levels. APA Corp, an energy name you like, Mosaic, uh, more of a fertilizer materials play, Mohawk, Borg Warner. One final question um, for investors who are concerned about political interference with energy right now, which looks like it's going to be pretty high risk going into the summer and into the midterm season. Would that hurt the performance of your energy investments? That's a great question. Obviously, Boris Johnson said some things about surplus uh, taxes on on oil and gas profits. I think at this point, people are not people know we got shortages in oil and gas, and I don't think they're going to do anything that's going to curtail exploration. Um, But clearly, political risk is absolutely an issue with these names longer term. Right now, Apache's trading at five times earnings. 
I think it's a great value here, but there absolutely is political risk. Where do you think oil prices are going? Um, I'm going to say they're going to moderate. So the forward price is about 20, is about $65 a barrel two years out. Put me down is above that, but probably below today's 110. So call, put me in the 90 to 100 range. At 90 to 100, Apache makes a lot of money. Wow, at 90 to 100, everybody would feel a lot wealthier, I think, uh, at least uh, consumers more generally. Charlie, uh, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you. And remember, it's Value Man, not Charlie. <laughs> I'm sorry, Value Man. Charlie Paprinskoy with Ariel Investments. Coming up, this group of stocks is set to snap a four-month losing streak. It's even outperforming the broader market despite a deluge of dismal data. We'll tell you what it is next and what could drive it from here. Plus, are big-name brands in big trouble and do off-price stores suddenly have pricing power? We've got a special edition of Three Buys and a Bail as a big week of retail earnings comes to a close. And as we head to a break, here's your check on markets. Another day of green across the board coming off an eight-week losing streak with a decidedly positive winning one. The Dow up 1%, the S&P up nearly 2%, the Nasdaq up 2.5%. We're back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to The Exchange. Despite the uh, sharp recent slowing in housing sales, home builders have actually stealthily outperformed the S&P 500 this month. My next guest has been steadfastly bullish on the builders and isn't giving hope just yet. Joining me now is Stephen Kim. He's a home builder analyst at Evercore ISI. Stephen, it's great to see you again. And why do you think the past month, is it just because rates, especially in the, in the last week or so, have stopped rising? Well, I would say that uh, the probably the most important, re- excuse me, reason is that housing has slowed a little, but not nearly enough for the bear case to be proven out. And in fact, when the builders all reported, you know, a few weeks ago, um, all the analysts pretty much had to take their estimates up across the board. And so, if you look at all the the uh, estimate revisions, you know, they're up and to the right. And in addition, book values continue to grow when stocks are trading at or even below book value. If that book value keeps going up. It pulls the stocks up with them. What are two or three takeaways from what the builders reported that you think investors need to be mindful of? It's uh, the number one thing is that uh, they are continuing to raise price because the market dictates it. The prices are up in the existing market, which is really what sets pricing for the the whole industry. Pricing's up about one percent a month um, in in that in the existing home market. Homes are continuing to sell above asking routinely, um, which is you know unusual, obviously, um, and. Uh, 
the builders are not incentivizing significantly, haven't had to increase their incentives to try to coax buyers in uh, because the demand is still outpacing the supply. That's probably the most important thing. Do you think home prices are going to drop? I think home price growth will slow. I do not think you will see home prices drop measurably uh, in this year. That has actually been the crux of our thesis because our point uh, that we made, you know, a month ago was that the building builder stocks were pricing in about a 20% drop in home prices over the next couple of years. We are absolutely resolute that that will not happen. Why don't you think that'll happen? It might be bad news to people who are trying to get into the market. The number one reason is because um, the, when you, the, the main reason you get home prices to go down is you have forced selling, um, which is what you had in the GFC in the, in the mid to late 2000s. You had people who could not afford the homes that they were already owning. Uh, because they shouldn't have been able to buy them in the first place. They were using adjustable rate mortgages and other crazy mortgage products. They could not afford the homes they already owned. That does not happen today. In fact, if you look today, the average person uh, who has a mortgage has, an, has a rate of about 3.4%, incredibly low rate, and that rate is fixed. 95% of the mortgages out there are fixed. And so basically, their payments are not going up. So when, ha- when, when demand gets a little shaky, when, when things soften, they stay put. They don't, they don't go out and sell their home. In the GFC, they were forced to sell their home because they could not afford the home they were already owning. The only way I can understand this group trading it, let's just call it five times earnings, is if earnings are about to fall by 50 percent or more. You know, is that still mathematically possible this year or next year? Well, I mean, if you listen to somebody who's concerned that home prices are going to go down a bunch, well, sir, um, I, I suppose it won't happen for at least two quarters, though, because the builders have uh, pre-sold backlogs that they're working on trying to construct. So for the next six months, you're going to continue to see what largely what you've been seeing no matter what, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that, as I said, the disagreement right now in these stocks and the bears, I would say, largely are dominating the conversation is that home prices are going to go down down. And I would just tell you that if you had told anybody six months ago that mortgage rates would have shot up 220, 240 basis points, they they would have expected, anybody would have expected that you would see more weakness today than you do. You should already be seeing weakening. You should be seeing incentivizing by builders. You should be, see people getting, you know, having to take action to bring more customers in the door. That is not what you are seeing. So I believe you're overweight on pretty much the entire space, but do you have a favorite or two? And is there anyone you're underweight on and would kind of be less bullish on? I think right now the big call in the space is to get the is to get the industry right. I think the fundamentals yeah. are going to be what's going to drive things. And frankly, right now the group is being painted with a broad brush. Uh, there are no individual builders that are being carved out and and saying, "Oh, we like this one." You know, when people think home prices are going to drop a lot, they don't like any of them. I don't think home prices are going to drop. I'm not seeing any evidence of anything like that. And so I like all of them. Um, and I think that, you know, frankly, uh, there's not one that I would particularly call out. They're just so unbelievably cheap. And by the way, Kelly, they are way cheaper than five times earnings. The street, on top of everything else, has been way too low on their estimates. Hmm. Um, on my numbers, a lot of these builders are trading at three times earnings or less. Wow. And, um, and the street has been coming up to our estimates consistently over the last year and a half. I re- it's crazy to watch. I really haven't seen multiples like this. I mean, outside of 
truly crisis events in any industry, in any you know, thing in, in recent memory. Um, that's what makes it so fascinating to talk to you about. Stephen, thanks for your time today. Sure, thanks for having me. Stephen Kim with Evercore ISI. Still ahead, crude oil is on pace for its sixth straight month of gains for the first time in over a decade. Drivers shouldn't expect much relief anytime soon. We'll tell you why with WTI just under $115 a barrel. And if you're hunting for yield these days, you may be looking at stocks in the wrong country. We'll tell you which global names are outperforming and why. And as we head to break, here's a look at the Dow heat map today. Lots of green on your screen there. Only one name is in the red. It's Coke, I think. Back in a moment. JP Morgan, by the way, top performer for the week, up 11% and on pace for its best week in nearly two years. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the markets, everybody. Here's a look at shares of Tesla up 6%. One of the very many bright spots in the market today. The Dow's up 338 points right now. S&P up 70. The Nasdaq's up 300. Uh, S&P and Nasdaq about to snap a seven-week losing streak. Dow snapping its eight-week decline. And let's take a look at some of the movers this hour with Tesla trying to make it three days in a row higher after a brutal stretch for the stock. Credit Suisse reiterating its British uh, bullish stance on the company, saying the recent decline is an attractive entry point. Tesla's now all the way up at 750, up 6% today and up 13% this week. Meanwhile, Coinbase adding to its own rally, up nearly 14%. Cowan initiating the stock with an outperform and an 85 target. The name is still down 70% this year, and it's just below $74 a share today. And the airlines, big one to watch here, taking off again today as we head into the holiday travel weekend. Every stock in the sector is up more than 4%. All right, Delta's now 2.5%, but Hawaiian's up more than 7% today. This group has been, again, an area of relative outperformance. And the cloud computing stocks are seeing some nice gains today. The ETF tracking the sector on pace for its third day in a row of gains and its first positive week in six. Infusion, Zscaler, and CrowdStrike are all among your winners. Now let's get to Tyler Matheson for a CNBC News update. Tyler? Kelly, thank you very much. And amid growing criticism of local police in Uvalde for not immediately trying to storm the classroom where the 18-year-old shooter was barricaded, a top Texas state official acknowledges those officers should have acted sooner. Hey, for the, for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision, period. There's no, no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there, but I'm just telling you, from what we know, we believe there should have been an entry at that as soon as you can. 
Greece is accusing Iran of violently seizing two oil tankers in the Persian Gulf. It appears to be retaliation for the seizure of this Iranian tanker in Greek waters for alleged sanctions violations. And President Trump's attempt to stop New York State's investigation of his company has been denied by a federal judge who rejected the argument that it is entirely driven by political animosity. Tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, a CNBC investigation into how thieves are stealing digital land in the metaverse. Kelly, back to you. All right, Tyler, I will see you soon. Thank you very much. Coming up, does retail make your head hurt? Our trader today has three retail picks she says will continue to benefit from reopening regardless of higher inflation. We'll go shopping with Gina Sanchez. There she is. And during May, we're celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage and featuring some of our CNBC teammates and contributors. Here is Khan Academy founder Sal Khan. My message to my kids and everyone in their generation is own your heritage, but also own your Americanness. The most American thing you can do is bring your culture and help it become part of the broader American culture. I'm uh, unabashedly an American exceptionalist. Is this country perfect? No, but I do think it has given more diverse folks more opportunity than ever before. And I think it's you know more on a journey to becoming even better over the next few generations. Welcome back. We've seen huge differentiation in the retail names lately, from the dollar store surging to Gap and Abercrombie getting hit to Macy's outperforming Target and Ulta on the upswing. What did we learn and what are the best trades in the sector now? Here with three buys and a bail in the retail world is Gina Sanchez, Chantico Global CEO and a CNBC contributor. Gina, welcome. It's great to see you. And your first buy is Ulta Beauty. The stock is soaring today after reporting that record first quarter. It's raising its guidance. The CEO says double digit sales growth across all major categories. Still, the stock is only back to flat on the year. Yeah, Alta. Well, flat on the year is actually not bad for this year, <laughs> Kelly. So let's let's keep that in mind. Um, but you know, beauty right now is one of those places. It's actually not just uh, a strong spot for Alta directly, but you hear you heard it in the Target uh, earnings call as well that, that that was one of the bright spots there, even though they had a real hard quarter. So you know, this is an area that with masks on, beauty products are back on. So everybody is going out and buying. And what's interesting is that they're not um, because of inflation, you would have expected that people might have, have uh, traded down, but they're not. They're actually staying with those prestige products, which have a much higher margin, and that's great for Ulta in the long run. It was one of Oliver Chen's big picks when we talked to him yesterday. He, again, for many of the same reasons that you cite. Gina, do you know, how did they manage to expand their profit margins to 40% from under 39% at a time when there's so much price pressure everywhere? Well, so Ulta actually benefited from huge timing of luck. I mean, they say if you if, if you can't be smart, you'd rather be lucky. Um, this was one of those. They actually plowed in an enormous amount of investment into their supply chain um, going into 2018. So as the uh, pandemic hit, they had just finished up a massive overhaul um, of their supply chain, of their inventory management, and they pumped up their e-commerce game. So you couldn't have caught that timing any better in order to survive the pandemic. And now they're benefiting while a lot of people are still figuring out supply chain issues. Not that you are going to give a price target, but what's your sense here of the kind of runway it now has to run? 
Well, I think the pent-up demand story is definitely there. We see consumption there. And, you know, the interesting thing about the, the consumer discretionary sector broadly in retail is it has had the worst, you know, revisions in terms of EPS expectations, and the market has just thrown it out, baby, with the bathwater. So we think that Ulta is one of these that got thrown out and, and really still has significantly more room to run. And the storyline is it, these are not expensive products. You know, these are products that you can afford. Uh, so at the end of the day, there's still, if you have pent up demand and there still is, um, this, this could continue to, to get earnings. And at the, at the you know, profit margins they're running, it'll be a, an interesting buy. All right. So let's move on then and talk about your next pick, which is TJX, the parent company of TJ Maxx. They also beat on profit margins, but they cut their same store sales forecast and missed on comps. Why is this a buy, you think? Well, so this is an interesting one because obviously they are forecasting that as if gas prices remain high, if oil prices remain high and inflation kind of really hits everyone, they're basically saying, you know what, apparel is the first thing that goes out in terms of things that you're willing to spend your excess money on if you're worried about filling the gas tank or buying groceries. Uh, however, TJ Maxx in that scenario will benefit relative to the rest of, of the world. These off-price uh, brands, Marshalls and TJ Maxx, which are the two stores that they own, um, you can also see this in, in other opportunities uh, like Kohl's. Uh, but, you know, these are these are stores that, you know, we think um, will benefit from people really thinking hard about what they want to buy and how much they want to spend on it. And your third pick, Bath and Body Works, a name we talk about a little bit less often. They also lowered their full year guidance. They say they're investing in technology, which is not maybe the first thing you'd think of for a Bath and Body Works. They also do keep emphasizing their supply chain is 85 percent domestic. Absolutely. And you're right, Kelly. They announced that they were making this um, investment into their technology and infrastructure, and they got hit because it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt their earnings for a period of time. However, that will come back. And also, this is one of those, again, very affordable price points. You know, as we get to socialize again, smelling good, turns out, is, is a thing we want to <laughs> <laughs> we have. <laughs> so, you know, we think that that, that pent-up demand, again, benefits this level of, of purchase. Um, and that these investments, although they're getting hit for them right now, they're going to recoup those. Yeah, a strong pandemic name. If they are a benefit, Sherry, now as well, that would really be uh, quite a feat. So those are your three buys. Again, Ulta, TJX, Bath & Body Works. Your bail, drumroll please, this one surprised me a little bit, it is mm. Best Buy. I mean, yes, it's had a tough stretch recently. They just reported a drop in revenue, 8% drop in same-store sales, cut the outlook. The stock that was up 15% this week, and a lot of people have been preferring anything with scale uh, as investments right now versus, you know, smaller, more marginal players. Tell me why this one for you is a bail. So this one was, you're right that, yes, they have definitely had a bounce. But the thing is, is they also got pummeled. So I think some of that bounce really comes from just relief uh, out of that. And the, the storyline here is that while we think that people will buy makeup and we think that people will buy cheaper clothing um, and, and, you know, beauty products that will make them smell good, we don't think that if inflation hangs out, people will make large-scale purchases, electronic purchases. We just see that as something that's probably probably going to continue to come under pressure, especially if you assume that inflation is is here for a while. And so we just we think that that large scale purchase is not on the agenda. All right. Gina never disappoints. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Gina Sanchez with three buys and a bail. 
Still ahead, a look at the emerging markets posting gains so far in May and whether there's more room to run. And then before we head to break, let's get some show and tell where we show you a chart and tell the story. Booking Holdings today on pace for its best week since mid-March after the stock fell 30% in less than a month. The CEO of its Priceline unit joined Squawk Box this morning with his prediction for the summer travel season. I mean, flights prices right now are running close to 40% up over 2021, so year over year. And consumers appear to still be willing to pay those prices. Uh, we're seeing, you know, flight capacity running close to record highs, even though their, you know, seats available are still down 10%. So with that type of pressure on the inventory, you're going to see very, very busy airports, not just for Memorial Day, but really throughout the summer. Welcome back. U.S. markets have gotten walloped lately, but one area of the world is seeing big gains. Seema Modi is here with the emerging markets that are now outperforming. Seema? Kelly, investors are looking around the world and betting that inflation has peaked in Brazil, where interest rates are already above 12 percent, among the highest in the world. And with six months till a presidential election, J.P. Morgan writes there is political pressure on the ground there to curb prices. The widely traded iShares Brazil ETF ticker EWZ is on pace for its best week since late March, up uh, less than 1 percent. Emerging markets broadly gaining about a percent, helped by the notable weakness that we have seen this week week in the U.S. dollar. Now, in less than two weeks, the Biden administration will host a number of South American leaders in Los Angeles as the U.S. attempts to counter China's influence in broader Latin America. First Lady Biden returning to Washington earlier this week after a six-day tour to Ecuador, Panama, Costa Rica to get leaders to attend. Investors will be on the lookout for any trade deals. Kelly? I wonder, you know, well, we could sort of talk about which markets uh, in Latin America, for instance, uh, in particular, are expected to outperform. And, and just how much of this is month by month change versus persistent outperformance uh, driven by fundamentals? Yeah, the macro story has played a big role in the outperformance of Latin America. Kelly, everything from the uh, the big moves we've seen in commodities, not just oil, but natural gas, among others. Latin America, this is a beneficiary of higher commodity prices. And that has been the main catalyst behind the big move that we have seen in the Latin American ETFs and also country-specific ETFs. Among all of them, Brazil, the biggest beneficiary of higher oil prices. But uh, Reuters surveyed 15 strategists, and they say from here to the end of 2020, Mexico will be a market that will outperform a bit more because it's a bit more seen as more of a stable play given the near-term volatility we could see in Brazil because of the upcoming presidential election. Wow, is Mexico perceived as a as a, a good return for investors these days? Uh, again, it is a trade off of higher oil prices. That's what it's seen as. Um, and yeah, again, they don't have that political near-term uncertainty that Brazil does have right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's always. There's a lot of opportunity and a lot of risk. That's how you get the returns in these emerging markets. Seema, thank you very much, our Seema Modi. Up next, a tiny bit of relief for drivers ahead of Memorial Day weekend. At least gasoline prices aren't climbing, but oil is seeing some upward moves again today. We've got the very latest numbers and what could be done to lower prices. And if you're a fast driver, you might not like it. Stay with us. Welcome back. Just in time for the big travel weekend. 
Today marks the first time in 16 days that gasoline prices didn't set a new high. The national average holding steady at $4.60 a gallon, and that's still $1.50 higher than a year ago. Meanwhile, oil also sitting near record highs after crude jumped to nearly $115 a barrel, the highest level since May 18th. So what can be done to bring down prices? Yesterday on Power Lunch, Bank of America's Francisco Blanche suggested people might want to consider driving a little slower. Politicians might consider lowering speed limits even. Joining me now with his take is Andy Lipow and uh, Lipow Oil Associates president. Andy, welcome. I mean, do you, how likely do you think a move like that would be and how much would it save in terms of demand? Well, I think it's very little. We saw back uh, decades ago going to a 55 mile an hour speed limit. It probably saves about two to three percent on mileage. But these days with more efficient cars, that benefit is going to be far less than we had seen in the past days of gas of gas guzzlers. Are we talking maybe a one percent demand savings, something in that range? Yeah, maybe something like that, which is only equivalent to ninety to one hundred thousand barrels a day, which is very small in the scheme of the consumer using nine million barrels a day. Nine million barrels a day, and I've seen reports that we're starting to see a, a, a slowdown in gasoline demand in reaction to prices. What are you picking up in the data? Well, we certainly see it on the fringes where the consumer is combining their trips to the grocery stores or other errands in the local market. But I think the big key for demand destruction is what happens this summer as Americans take to the road for their vacation. Is there any sign, we've talked to other analysts about this, but gasoline prices are a little higher than normal compared to the oil price, and I understand that's because of some refinery shortages and that kind of thing. Is there any relief in sight where at least maybe gasoline prices could fall uh, a teensy bit relative to what the price of oil is today? Well, I think today's decline is going to be short-lived because we've seen both crude oil and gasoline prices rally over the last week. I'm expecting that over the Memorial Day weekend, gasoline prices are going to rise five cents a gallon. But as far as getting more refinery capacity online quickly, that's simply just really not the case here in the U.S. We will be utilizing more capacity as we end the spring um, seasonal maintenance period over the next week. But it's not likely that we're going to be restarting the refineries that have been shut over the last couple of years. One of the kind of scary features of what's going on right now is that because demand is outstripping supply and because we're releasing barrels, we are drawing down inventories right now. Are they worrying you at these levels? Yeah, it's a very big concern because gasoline inventories for this time of year are at the lowest level since 2014. And the Strategic Petroleum Reserve inventory is at its lowest level since September of 1987. These are only buying us some time, but the real key is how do you get more energy to the consumer and more oil out of the ground to make up the deficit that we're seeing from the sanctions that have been imposed on Russia. And do you have any answers uh, to how we would do that? Well, there's, uh, there's some answers, but they're all long term. I mean, you need to have a combination of drilling for more oil where the environmentalists don't want to hear that, or creating more renewable fuels, which is still some years away, but gets you into a debate of food versus fuel. Or you can have price be the ultimate arbiter in rationing of supplies. As the price goes up, you ultimately get enough demand destruction to get us in balance. 
But the ultimate solutions are several years away, and you can even see that in the actions that are being taken over in Europe as far as natural gas, building LNG facilities or infrastructure, that's a three or four year process. So do you expect the price to peak this summer and then fall back towards something more normal over the next year or two? Or what's your feel for it these days? Well, I mean, that's an excellent question because it really depends on how these sanctions with Russia play out. And if additional quantities of Russian oil are taken off the market and we don't get additional supplies, especially by asking OPEC to open the taps and make up for their shortfall from their production quotas, or if we don't get additional supplies out of Iran and Venezuela by easing sanctions, which is also unlikely, you know, I'm afraid that really what we're going to see for the rest of the year is higher energy prices through the summer and going into the winter. You know, one quirky side note, I'd heard that side view mirrors are actually, uh, they, they hurt fuel efficiency. It's been a, something that Tesla has, has talked a lot about. They're trying to get rid of it on the Cybertruck. Do you think regulators would ever say, you know what, maybe now's the moment. We have camera technology that didn't previously exist. Maybe the side view mirror goes away. I think they would really, you know, getting be getting down into the weeds of doing things when there's really, I think, bigger fish to fry than worrying about the side view mirrors on cars. Yeah, I, I think you're right. But, you know, we're, we're sort of grasping at straws here. Andy, thanks for your time today. Thanks for having me. Andy Lipow with Lipow Oil Associates. Up next, while most Americans would celebrate a three-day weekend, crypto investors might be bracing for a bumpy ride. Why Bitcoin prices don't seem to get a holiday, that's ahead. And just in time to help navigate volatility, CNBC's Crypto Night in America is back. Tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, The Exchange will be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Bitcoin just above $28,000 again, down around 25% so far this month. And if history is any indication, long weekends are not so friendly for crypto investors. Kate Rooney is here to brace us. Kate? Kelly, that's right. Crypto never sleeps. As we know, it will be one of the few asset classes trading Monday while U.S. markets are closed for Memorial Day. And analysts are expecting some big price swings. That's mainly because of a lack of liquidity, meaning there are fewer people out there to trade. So if uh, you see a handful of larger trades, those could trigger outsized spikes in either direction, not just on the downside. Fundstrat pulled some of this data and found that crypto trading volumes tend to fall off a cliff, as they put it, on major U.S. holidays. July 4th sees the biggest decline, followed by Martin Luther King Day, then Christmas and then Memorial Day and Labor Day are pretty much tied. New Year's Day is the one big outlier. There's actually more trading on January 1st. It underlines, though, how widely adopted Bitcoin now is in the U.S. Fundstrat found that Bitcoin tends to perform better during U.S. trading hours. That wasn't the case four years ago, for example, when the asset class was a lot bigger in Asia. Another factor that could be adding to more volatility on Monday, record leverage in crypto right now. That's measured by the Bitcoin leverage ratio, which has been climbing since February. It's now at an all-time high. And if Bitcoin were to move sharply in either direction, it could catch those highly leveraged investors offsides. And as Fundstrap puts it, compound a move in either direction. On top of all of that, Kelly, Bitcoin is still very much tied to the macro outlook, which is still looking pretty tough for some of those riskier assets. I'm shocked that, that now is when leverage is at a high. <laughs> it's interesting. It's been slowly, slowly adding and uh, we're back at a new all-time high. So it's interesting. It does seem to uh, suggest that 
traders are looking for either protection or looking to bet on the direction of Bitcoin versus holding it as an asset or a bet itself. Uh, But we are it's back. So we'll see what happens Monday. All right, Kate, thank you very much. Buckle up, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day. Same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.